goal in my drag and my hope for drag in general and for the world in general is for us to say, this is yours too. Do you see how powerful you perceive me on stage in these thigh high fuck me boots and my beautiful cocktail dress and my hair blowing in the wind and me lip syncing to Christina Aguilera, you know what I mean? Like the power you think that I have, you also have that within you. You have that, just reach out and grab it. And that's what I hope drag can accomplish. That's what I hope to accomplish in my drag. You know what I mean? My drag is for me, but drag itself and gender expression and confidence and artfulness and glamour is for everyone. Welcome to Time Personified. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name is Francesca Mamlin. I am an astrologer and I am the host of this show. I am a working astrologer and I offer readings to anybody who feels called for that. And I host this show, which is a podcast about astrology, but also a podcast about a lot of different things. This episode is being released on the full moon in Aries on October 1st. So if you're listening to this episode in real time, we are currently in a moment where we are exploring the balance between the self and the other. That is the Libra Aries polarity. And currently the North Node is in Gemini. And I feel that energy really mixing with this full moon energy and inviting us to deeply explore themes of duality, which is perfect because that's one of the topics that we're discussing today in the interview that you'll be hearing in a few minutes. And I am interviewing a Gemini. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview Gilda Wabbit, a professional drag queen and a beautiful soul to explore some of these Libra Aries themes. Gilda and I were introduced to each other by a mutual friend, Lane. You'll hear me mention his name once during the interview. So thank you so much, Lane, for the introduction. Time Personified is a space where I invite people of different professions, backgrounds, walks of life to explore the current themes of astrology. And I felt really inspired to interview a drag queen to explore these Libra Aries themes that are coming up on this day because I think that when I think of this polarity, when I contemplate this polarity, I often find myself contemplating the balance between Venus and Mars or between the masculine and the feminine. And I went into this interview with Gilda having a, a superficial understanding of what drag really is. Like I've watched RuPaul's Drag Race, I've been to a few drag shows. Um, but I'm excited to share their experience and perspective with you because they have such a deep personal experience with drag. Obviously, it's their job. And they are also very articulate about how drag can be used as a tool for individuals to really explore themselves and explore gender. They also offer stories from their own life about how drag has helped them to explore themselves and start conversations with their audiences. Gilda is a Gemini, so I kept noticing how they emphasize building personal connections through their drag, starting conversations, and empowering people on an interpersonal level. So if you are a Gemini, or if you have a lot of Gemini in your chart, you might see some of your own gifts reflected through Gilda. And this is also the energy that we're all collectively working with 
having the North Node in Gemini. Gemini is a big part of the energy that we're moving forward into as a collective. Gilda shares this adorable story as well about themselves as a child having a Pisces moon. So if you have a watery moon, you'll definitely relate to it. I was cracking up myself because I have a Cancer moon. They also are currently moving through their Saturn return. They have Saturn in Aquarius, so they are stepping into their mission to be a revolutionary for the collective. That's, I, if I'm gonna put Saturn in Aquarius very simply, if you have Saturn in Aquarius in your chart, that's something that you're doing in your life mission, is you are stepping up to be a revolutionary agent of change for the collective. So if you're age 28 to 30, you may have you you have saturn in aquarius and you are also stepping into your saturn return so you're about to discover your own way of embodying this energy and in embodying it in your purpose as an adult so if you're part of this generation and you're moving through this experience as well you may enjoy the stories that gilda shares about their personal Saturn return experience. So before we get into this amazing conversation, let me formally introduce you to Gilda Wabbit. Gilda Wabbit is currently on cast at Play Dance Bar in Louisville, Kentucky, and regularly works in drag havens like New York, Columbus, Chicago, Orlando, and Nashville. Known for their live vocals and versatile repertoire, there has never been a queen like Gilda. So I hope you enjoy this interview and I will see you on the other side. Hello, it's so good to meet you, yeah. Yes, hi, I'm, I'm on the floor in my drag room. I've taught my boyfriend to rhinestone for me. So they're rhinestoning a bodysuit over here and I've been rhinestoning these gloves. <laughs> That's it's amazing. Been a day. <laughs> yeah. Are you preparing for a performance? Um, I, I am preparing for something that I've signed an NDA about, so okay. <laughs> we can't talk oh. about it. <laughs> I won't ask any more questions then. Thank um, you, what a privilege. <laughs> um, yeah, why don't we start with, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Who is Gilda Wabbit? Um, yeah, let's give us an introduction. Sure. Uh, hi, hello everyone. My name is Gilda Wabbit. I am uh, a live singing, trash heap comedy queen of a performer. Um, I reside in Louisville, Kentucky. I started my drag career in New York City, which is kind of a wild story, but I came back here mostly because uh, my family is really important to me. And also when I left Kentucky, I had said to myself, like, I'm going to go to New York City. I'm going to gain some confidence. I'm going to figure out who the fuck I am. And then I'm going to come back to Kentucky because I wish that I had queer representation growing up. Um, and so there are going to be kids in Kentucky like me who need that. And so here I am. And it's a good time. That is so cool. What is it like doing drag in some, somewhere like Louisville, Kentucky? I would imagine that Kentucky is a very conservative state. Um, so what is that like? Yeah, I would say Kentucky as a whole is a very conservative state, at least when it comes to voting records. Like we can, we all know that it's a red state. Uh, however, I um, have found that doing drag here is actually, at least in Louisville, is actually extremely fulfilling. I've, I've got, uh, I've been hired at a bar called Play Dance Bar, which is one of the largest gay bars in the Midwest is how they advertise themselves. 
And I get the privilege of being on a huge stage and when it's not the coronavirus performing to like 200 to 500 people a night, um, which makes me feel kind of like a rock star. I know that's not everyone's experience. That's, that's sort of like the top of the food chain in Kentucky and I'm very privileged to be there. But when I moved from New York City down to here, I really thought to myself, all right, you cannot make drag your career anymore. You're going to have to like go back to managing a restaurant or whatever and then do drag on the side. Uh, however, I found that I, I have a full ass career and that even, even people who come into the bar who maybe don't identify as, as liberal or leftist can come in and be entertained and sort of meet me where I'm at and I can meet them where they're at. And that can at least spark a thought or an interest in queer people, you know? And um, I'm really grateful for that. I think it's wonderful. That's awesome you're able to find that. And I found that with, I'm from Ohio, so I grew up in the Midwest. And I found in the yes. Midwest, yeah. <laughs> and I saw on your bio that you've done performances in Columbus. And um, yeah, but the Midwest and the South, um, there's a lot of conservatism in that, those regions. But I found that the cities, um, there's been like, there's a lot of young people moving to the cities and like my, um, my family's from North Carolina and Asheville, North Carolina has gotten to be very, um, very liberal um, in, in a couple of the cities there. Um, so I'm seeing kind of a shift there in the um, urban parts of the Midwest and the South. So that's cool that so, you're able to make that happen. Uh, with yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, we, we, we think often about, I mean, I, I moved to New York City, you know, we think often about cities as these, these bastions of like queerness and a place for you to exist. And I live in Louisville, which is certainly a city, but I, uh, before I moved to New York, I was with a touring opera company and was, was traveling around Kentucky to middle schools and high schools. And even, even out in the rural areas, we have whole groups of queer people living and existing, you know? And so I think that, I think that there's this idea that I was fed when I was growing up and that I think a lot of young queer people get fed that like you have to go to a city to be able to be yourself and to be accepted. And I think returning to Kentucky and getting involved in the scene as statewide as I can and getting to meet people, I've learned and been reinforced that like queerness can exist everywhere. Um, and that's sort of the exciting part about doing drag here is that like, yes, I'm in Louisville and yes, I'm in a city, but I get to meet people from all over the state and even from Indiana and Ohio who come to see me and are like, we're gay and we live in fucking Nicholas County, you know, on a dilapidated trailer. And we're excited to be here because we get to see more queer people and it's a good time, but like they exist everywhere. And that's important, you know? Yeah, as, as it should be, um, queerness should exist everywhere and it always has existed everywhere. Um, and we're just getting to the point now where there's more places where they're able to be their authentic selves. Um, and I hope that we continue to move in that direction as a country. Absolutely. So what is drag for those who don't know? And also like I can, I know that drag is like men dressing up as women or sometimes the opposite direction, but like, what is it? That is an extremely complicated question. Drag is very multifaceted. I mean, I think if you're getting deep into any art form or deep into any practice or deep into any craft, you discover that there is a multitude of experiences within that. And so you, you said, you know, drag, drag can be men dressing up as women or women dressing up as men. And I think that's, that's true for a lot of people in the drag community. And that's also how many of us are perceived 
by sort of the mainstream world. Uh, however, in my experience, drag, especially now as it's reaching a larger audience and as more and more people are coming to it, is that drag is more broadly just an art form that is about gender expression. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman dressing up as a man or a man dressing up as a woman. Like I know a lot of women who are drag queens who, who come to drag to perform femininity. And it's not necessarily about twisting that and saying like, I'm a woman, but now I'm a man. For them, it's like, I'm a woman. And here are all these things about femininity that I want to blow out of proportion for fun. Or here are these things about femininity that I want to skewer and make fun of because the patriarchy makes me do these things to be palatable. And there's also a whole sect, and this has been around for forever in the drag world, of people who come to drag not to be like, I'm a man in a dress, but to be like, this is a gender affirming way for me to express myself. So it's like, I, there are a lot of trans women who do drag. And so for them, drag is, you know, a way for them to be like, I'm on stage being extremely feminine and extremely beautiful and being celebrated for that. Whereas in many other places in my life, people might look at me and say, well, you've got a penis, so I'm not going to celebrate your femininity, you know, but, but she gets to get up on stage and be like, yeah, you lust after me. And that, that I, I have um, what I like to call a, 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 an expansive experience with gender. Um, I, I uh, have been identifying as non-binary and gender fluid for a while. And, and for me, drag is a place for me to get up and express my femininity and be celebrated for that. And like the other night I was at work and even though we're, it, it's pandemic times and we have like limited capacity and I have to not be near the audience and like everyone has to wear a mask and it's like kind of wild, I still got to get up on stage and like put on a, a trashy bodysuit and a pair of thigh high boots and like roll around and hump the stage and like be seen and perceived by the audience in a way that I controlled in a way that was really affirming to my experience of how I want to be seen. And that was extremely empowering. And I don't think anyone in that room at that time looked at me and was like, that's a man in the dress. You know, I, I, I and like a lot of, like there was a big group of, of, of like middle-aged white women who were there celebrating somebody's 42nd birthday, you know? And that is, that is peak crowd that would look at me and be like, oh, hey, come, come with us. We think you're great. Like he's great, right? he's great like there are people who love to look at me in in like femme drag and like use he him pronouns but those women were like we love her she's fabulous you know what i mean and there was like they were like they were like straight men and like we were like joking about like how like hot they might think we are and they were like yeah we do think you're hot and it's like this place now where gender is 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 about what you bring to it and what you want to perform and explore and be perceived as and i think that's wonderful Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love how you say that drag is an expression of gender, because I think the whole statement that drag makes is like gender isn't just like you're a man or you're a woman and like, okay, I'm a man, so I'm going to dress up as a woman and that's drag. Like the whole point of it is that gender is this, it's not just two things that you can be. There's a whole myriad of things that you can be. And I think that's one of the things that I've personally like seen affirmed through drag um and yeah i think it's so incredible and so beautiful how like loud and unapologetic drag queens are and they're incredible artists and i think they're doing really revolutionary things for our collective consciousness um because we're in this moment right now where we're like really questioning what gender is and also like 
even as a as a woman you were talking about how women use drag to like accentuate and exaggerate parts of femininity that have like to kind of like make fun of the patriarchy um i've always seen like the lgbtqa plus movement and um everything involved with it as being like i've always felt a kinship with that because you're questioning the very roles that have limited me as a female so yeah it's all beautiful and yeah i'd like to learn more about how you personally discovered drag yeah so i was in college and had met this wonderful person named Brittany. Brittany, if you're listening shout out to you she's fabulous and she sort of saw me and was like you're a homosexual and i love homosexuals and she was she was a master student and i was a freshman undergraduate and when i turned 18 she said to me we're going to the gay bar you're going to see drag queens and you're going to have a good time and i trusted her i was like yes ma'am i'm totally on board so she drove me to louisville to a bar called the connection which no longer exists unfortunately um but we went to the connection and i went in like tiny short white booty shorts and a red t-shirt and i was like i look slutty and boys are gonna love me and we went and i saw terry vanessa coleman and i saw hurricane summers and i saw vanessa de mornay and i even saw michael j valentine who's like what we call a male entertainer in the industry um and we i just had such a good time and i remember thinking wow these people are so free these people are so relaxed and they'll say what comes to their mind and they'll perform what they want to perform and they'll dress how they want to dress and like i feel seen here and i feel able to express myself like when i went when i got back to university i was like okay put the long denim back on put on the button down shirt like you're not allowed to wear these tiny booty shorts here but but at the gay bar i at that gay bar and in the around those spaces i felt super like free and so i started watching drag race which is sort of how a lot of mainstream people come to drag and for a long time drag to me felt untouchable it felt like a thing that i could watch but not a thing that i could participate in uh and and that was largely because i did not know personally any drag queens and the people that my friend Brittany hung out with who were drag queens were also trans women and at the time i didn't i didn't have uh, a good grip on my experience with gender so i was like i'm a boy these are women I can't participate in this. And then I moved to New York City uh, after I graduated. I was trying to be an opera singer in New York City. And um, in between rehearsals and my full-time job as a restaurant manager, I would go with my friend Sam to a bar called Barracuda on Tuesday nights because it was like my night off. And on Tuesday nights, there was a drag queen named Sutton Lee Seymour who would sing songs and dance around in a cheap stretch cocktail dress and had a good freaking time. And one night I was like, you're having so much fun and you're singing all this music that you want to sing. Is this your job? And she was like, yes, I, I get to pick my music. I get to pick how I dress. People like you come and give me money and celebrate me. It's not easy, but it's my job. And then I was like, oh shit, I can participate in this. Like there are like people do this. It, it suddenly felt within my grasp, you know, as opposed to super foreign and like only something I could watch. 
and and that, that and I was like, great, okay, sickening. I'm not doing opera anymore. We're only doing drag. I like finished all my contracts out. I stopped auditioning. I bought some shitty vintage dresses at a thrift store, and started performing. And and it it just like snowballed from there. Um, and it was so joyous to when it clicked in my head that this thing that I loved to watch was also something that I could do. You know, it was really cool. It was a great experience. And I and I hope more people, and I think this is true for other people, I hope more people are coming to drag and realizing, even if you don't want it to be your career, even if it's a thing you do on Halloween or Pride or at parties, if it's for you and it's fun and it's about your expression, you can do it. It's accessible. You can participate in it. I love that because I actually, um, I worked in the opera world myself. I I was I used to be a Yeah, <laughs> I did my degree in theater. I worked in theater and opera and musicals, all that stuff. Um, and I love hearing a story about a performer who went from, because I know how constricting the theater world and the opera world can be, um, especially yes. like, yeah, like you're constantly put into a box, like you walk into an audition room and I'm the one who would be behind the table and like I would hear the directors talk about people and they're always like, they're like, okay, so you fit into these slots. And I think that can be very difficult for people who, um, I. Pretty, it can be difficult for all performers, pretty much, because um, nobody wants to be put into a box. And so I think it's cool that you're able to find something where you got to sing the songs that you wanted to, you got to dress in the costumes that you wanted to, and you got to create the, the character that you wanted to play. Um, how did you find your, how did you find Gilda Wabbit? How did you find your drag persona? I'm curious about that journey. Yeah, that was that was it's been it's been a long journey and we're we're still discovering things. I've been doing drag for five years and I'm still discovering new experiences. But so especially we're talking about gender boundaries and expression. And I, and I felt like as a boy and especially in the classical music world that I was extremely limited in the way that I could express myself and the way that I could present. And I felt that like I could not be perceived by people in the way that I want. I didn't have control over that. I just had to accept that someone looked at me and heard me sing and they thought all these things about me and I just had to accept that I was that person, you know? I did not have agency in who I was. Who I was was decided by those around me. And so when I started doing drag and I, what I started discovering was that like I was able to say, okay, I wanna present like this tonight or I wanna present like that tonight. And, and I would experiment and play and toy around with things and see what stuck and see what trends started popping up as I did drag more often, you know? And, and so things that have become signature about me today. So a lot of people associate me with red hair. I wear a lot of like red, like auburn, uh, chestnut brown, like warm, red leaning tones, coppers, all that stuff. And that came out of, that, that came out of me being really interested in Rita Hayworth and in Jessica Rabbit and I would try it on and I, and I would play with it. And it just like stuck as this thing that I kept coming back to that I realized was like really authentic for me, this reference that I was playing with, you know? And, and I, I also have, have really circled around and people associate with me a lot. Um, like vintage aesthetic, vintage styles. I wear a lot of like vintage 80s clothes or like 40s and 50s clothes. I style my hair very much like Rita Hayworth or Lauren Bacall very often. Um, and those are things that like, as I tried on these flavors, they just kept feeling good, you know? And I've tried on lots of other things. And another flavor I really enjoy to put on is like, is like 
trashy rock and roll you know what i mean like my my dad's kind of a redneck and like that man and i like got along really well when it came to music and so there's this part of me like that like trashy like redneck part of me that exists that's like really attracted to rock and roll and thigh high boots and like vintage t-shirts and like screwed up jeans you know and that's really authentic for me and and so the journey of discovering gilda i guess was just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck over time and and like i said i'm still discovering stuff so things that i'm playing around with more and more and more now or i'm trying to be more naked on stage i i've always felt like an extremely sexual person and and stage is a place where i feel safe to be sexual like like I, I can be perceived as sexy and i can be in control of my sexuality but i'm distanced from the audience so i'm not in danger of someone saying oh you're sexy let me stop stamp stomp all over your agency you know what i mean i have power i'm empowered there and and i all and, and it's also not a place where like i am performing sexuality for a, a partner or for validation i'm performing my sexuality for me and um and to see that celebrated is really empowering and that's something that has stuck and also now has one of the most joyous things about drag is that as i discover these authentic parts of myself they get to bleed into my real life because the more I feel like I have agency and control over my uh, expression and over the way I'm perceived on stage, the more I feel that in real life, you know? Um, and I think that's like an important thing to note too, is that as I discover Gilda, I'm also discovering Sam. Mm -hmm. And that's what drew me to theater when I initially pursued a career in theater, because theater is a safe space where you get to explore um, like different emotions, different characters, different experiences. And then you just kind of walk out and, you know, you go back to your life. But it also like, you know, like you said, it kind of bleeds into your actual life, um, whether like you're participating as an audience member or as a performer, or for me, I did various tech jobs. Like it, it gives you this space to like, basically um, explore facets of your personality, of your psyche, of yourself, and celebrate it and feel safe with it. And then it kind of helps you become more of a whole person. Um, do you feel like that was maybe kind of the experience for you with drag and with um, your experience as a performer? Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I just turned 28 this year. I'm at the very beginning of my Saturn returns, you know what I mean? And um, my whole life is shifting. And I've found myself in a relationship with two wonderful partners who are extremely supportive of my expression and the person that I'm learning to become. And I have a great therapist who's walking me through it. And like, I'm doing my shadow work and journaling all that stuff. But what I keep finding is that these things that I've enjoyed in performance and these things that I've been celebrated for in performance are things that are true for me all the time. And if I accept their presence in my everyday life, I can be a, a larger, more expansive, more assertive, more grounded human being, you know, because those are feelings I feel on stage. Like when I get on stage, I feel seen and heard and I feel free to be silly and sexy and ugly and beautiful and sensual and serious and all at once, you know, because, because it's like a canvas to paint on. And, and something that I'm learning now, oh, I'm getting really emotional talking about this. 
uh, something that I'm learning now is that even though growing up, I was presented with a lot of don't do this, don't do that, you can't be this person. None of that is actually true. Every day when I wake up and get out of bed, I can treat each day and each moment like a blank canvas. And I might, and, 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 and I know there's a lot of privilege in that too, because I know not everyone feels safe in the space that they're in to do that, you know? But I, I, I am now finding myself at 28, living in Louisville with my two great boyfriends, having worked really hard on my relationship with my parents, to, to, and having a great supportive group of friends around me to treat every day like that and to discover and explore myself and, and to say, I get to be who I want to be today. I get to be who I want to be today, whether or not I'm on stage. And that's so powerful. And I, I hope everyone can find a space, even if it's not a space where they feel like that all the time, but a space part of the time where they can feel like, yes, I can just like be who I want to be and experiment with that and explore who I am. Yeah, I agree. I hope that everybody can, I, I hope we can build a world where everybody can feel that way. And it sounds, like, it sounds like you're having a very beautiful Saturn return experience. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been wild. I, I was warned about it and I've done a lot of pulling my hair and gnashing my teeth and sitting on a yoga mat and sobbing. And, um, and um, I think all of that's part of the process, you know? So somebody looked at me the other day and they were like, listen, this is a dumb metaphor, but listen, you were a caterpillar and you're becoming a butterfly, but you know how a butterfly gets strong wings by thrashing its way out of that cocoon. It mm -hmm. is not easy and it's not fun, but it's worth it, you know? Yeah, and that is a perfect way to describe the work with Saturn because Saturn gives us restrictions and limitations. Um, and it's kind of like, I also describe Saturn as being like the pressure that creates a diamond um, you yeah, really, yeah, that's that is Saturn work, and so you must be Saturn and Aquarius, right? I am Saturn and Aquarius. Yes, I'm a Gemini, Aquarius rising with a Pisces moon. My Saturn's in Aquarius. It's a wild time. Wow, yeah, <laughs> you do seem like a Gemini, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I get I'm an Aquarius myself, so I get along really well with Gemini's because we talk a lot, both of us. Um, mm -hmm. Cool, and that Pisces moon, awesome. Yeah, I could like oh, read your chart. Oh, the Pisces head. moon, uh, listen, I one of my, my favorite uh, thing to talk about when people talk about my Pisces moon is that when I was younger, we had to have a tree cut down in our backyard because it fell during a storm and the, around the stump grew a bunch of weeds oh, and I would just go out into the backyard and sit on the stump and talk to the flowers around me. And one day my mom, picked the weeds and I was like mom those are my flowers and she was like they were weeds and I said they were purple they were beautiful that stump is my safe space <laughs> and I would just sit in nature and like talk to myself and like feel my feelings on the stump in my backyard <laughs> that is so beautiful yeah, the, yeah one of the tarot cards connected to Pisces is the page of cups and it's this, um, it's a per in my deck, it's a girl, but it's like the, this, this person, a human, who's sitting there and like, she's holding a cup and there's like a little fish sticking out of the cup and looking at her and like, she's like talking to the fish. And um, I always think of the fact that Mr. Rogers was a Pisces. Um, yeah. And he all about, like he talked to puppets and he was all about like feeling your feelings and he personified um, 
he personified everything. Um, yeah, that's definitely a Pisces characteristic. I love it. I'm a watery moon myself too. I have a cancer moon, so. Ah, oh, one of my boyfriends is a cancer moon. I love that for us, yes. <laughs> yeah, the water moons are probably very compatible. You oh, we're, we're all, all three of us are Geminis. I have a Pisces moon. One of us has a Scorpio moon and the other one has a cancer moon. So it is a wild house. It's very perfect. It feels very complete though, because all of the water signs are represented and yep. all of you being Gemini's, like Gemini's can fit into a lot of different like archetypes and a lot of different slots. So I could, it's probably a very fluid relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, we're working to um, feel secure enough to allow that fluidity to like really exist in its fullness, you know? That's amazing. Yeah, Lane mentioned you were into astrology and I was like, ooh, a drag queen who's into astrology? Like, perfect, yeah. perfect interview. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I'm super into astrology. I used to host a Tuesday live stream show called Tarot Tuesday where I'd read tarot for my audience. Um, I'm super, I'm, 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 I'm very into what I call the woo-woo shit. Uh, so, yeah. No way. Oh, that's so cool. If you ever bring back Tarot Tuesday, I follow you on Instagram now and I'm like, <sighs> so here <Yes>. for that. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Um, so yeah, back to drag, I guess, because um, that's yeah. apparently what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> what I'm interested in how drag has um, shaped your relationship to your masculinity, because um, as somebody who expresses feminine on stage, um, yeah, I'm interested in like how that affected your relationship with the other side of the coin. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I have um, a complicated relationship with masculinity, you know, growing up uh, with my father who is extremely masculine and I don't think has ever sat down and questioned gender roles, you know, and uh, or, or anything my boyfriend says or anything, which I think is a little bit true about him, unfortunately. Um, and and with, a, with a younger brother who was very comfortable and very good at performing masculinity. Um, and, and I always sort of stuck out like a sore thumb everywhere I went. I, you know, they tried to get me in sports and they tried to, you know, I played basketball and soccer and, and I was in karate and all this stuff and it never quite fit. And I found my home in, in places that were considered traditionally feminine. You know, I found my home as a visual artist. I found my home in theater and in music. Uh, and I have, I have a lot of experiences uh, from my youth, like really young. I remember like, praying that I would wake up a girl because no one no one saw me and like understood me you know everyone was like well you're not performing masculinity very well like I don't understand why you're a boy and I was like well I don't fucking either okay I didn't pick having a penis I didn't tell you all to call me a boy it just happened and now I'm stuck with it but here I am you know what I mean and it's funny because I don't really know that drag has had an effect on my experience of masculinity so much as uh, my my current partners have. You know, I think drag was a really safe space for me to explore my femininity and get really comfortable with it and, and feel celebrated. And then often when I stepped off stage, I felt awkward and strange again, you know, and, and in a lot of gay male spaces, I felt like I could never quite be enough for the people around me because I didn't fit into masculinity very well, but I have both my partners now are really comfortable celebrating my femininity and my masculinity and like holding them together in the same space, you know? And so I get to 
some days feel like a man and have a good time feeling like a man, or I get to some days feel like a girl, but feel like a tomboy. Do you know what I mean? Because I still feel like masculine, but like, I want to like, you know, have my hair long and wear my like booty shorts and like, you know, that's not necessarily feminine, but like for me, it feels that way sometimes, you know? And, um, and so I, I've, I've found myself now where, whereas drag gave me this beautiful relationship with my femininity, you know, I've now found myself in my 28th year surrounded by these lovely people sort of coming to terms with and accepting my masculinity, which has been a journey that I've, I've not been on before. You know, I, I, I sort of ran from it or it, it, my masculinity didn't feel authentic. It felt like a performance, you know, whereas now, um, especially with my boyfriends, I get to feel like my masculinity is real and is also not conditional, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I, I can, I can flit between things that are masculine and feminine at, at whatever time I want and, and however I feel and I can experience both of them at once as opposed to having to be like well I'm around my family so let me turn on the masculinity let me like drop my voice and bring out my old southern accent and move furniture for them and oh now I'm on stage and drag so I can you know do this and do that but I can't do these things you know now I feel like I've come, I'm coming to a place where I can hold them both together you know Mm-hmm. I love how you say hold them both together because I think that's like um, astrology has a lot of exploration of the masculine feminine polarity, um, which is one of the reasons that I'm super drawn to it because we both have like everyone has um, masculine and feminine within them all of the archetypes in astrology everyone has within them. And I think the lesson that astrology ultimately teaches us is that with duality like you can't really understand duality until you can understand oneness. Um, the any kind of duality or polarity that you can think of masculine feminine good evil black white like they they really are just one um and i think the ultimate lesson is how it's just them existing together and not like okay like here i pull out the masculine and like i do this and here i pull out the feminine it's like it, they're both there all the time sometimes one will maybe express or or, or um be more empowered at certain times but they're always going to be both there. I think that's at least my experience of it. Um, and yeah, I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that that is something that is so important, uh, in drag, but also we're in this time now where we're, we're expanding gender boundaries and questioning the things that we've been given. You know, and I, and I think that's something that our elders have often missed and that has damaged them and damaged us. And we can heal that generational trauma, hopefully in the next few lifetimes is that, is that the femininity and the masculinity must exist at the same time. And if we run, if we run from them because we feel like they don't fit how we're supposed to be, we're, we're ignoring and, 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 and not embracing whole sections of ourselves. You know, my, my father, for instance, I know I talked about him not questioning things. We were in church one day and he was talking and, and, and religion is very important to him. He's a deeply, deeply religious man. And he was talking about stewardship of the church. You know, that this building is where we experience our religion. We have to take care of it. And he was up in front of our congregation and he started crying just like sobbing. And, and I was really moved because I, I, I was always crying. And I was like, this man who's never cried in front of me is sobbing now. And we talked about it later and he was so embarrassed about it. And I, I really truly think it's because he felt like those tears and that emotion were, were not strong. 
and were not masculine, you know what I mean, in, in his worldview. But I found those tears and that vulnerability so powerful. And I just wish that he could embrace the things that he thinks of as feminine and the things that he thinks that he shouldn't be interacting with because he would be a wholer person and a more powerful person, you know? Absolutely. I think that is really what feminism is about too. It's about embracing femininity and it's about also allowing more masculine presenting people to know that it's okay to have feminine aspects because they do like we can't that's that's just how everyone is um and allowing themselves to cry allowing themselves to enjoy looking beautiful or um anything that might be considered feminine um like if they want, they can have access to that stuff because it's really for everybody. Um, femininity is for everybody and so is masculinity. Um, and yeah, I think that's really, really important. And I'm glad that things are changing with um, our generation and the generations that come after us. Um, I think that's a really, one of the really beautiful virtues that I've seen in with the Pluto and Scorpio generation, the Pluto, Pluto and Sagittarius generation is the, especially Scorpio. I think that one of the things that the Pluto and Scorpio generation is doing is like um, really questioning the gender and sexuality rules that we have been following for way too long. And being 28, you would be a part of that generation as well. So. <laughs> yes, it's us. It's us. Um, I'd like to ask about what do you feel is the impact that drag, I mean, we've touched on this in ways, but what is the impact that drag has on the world as a whole and the larger movement for LGBTQA A plus rights and um, other, <laughs> just generally, what's the impact that drag has on the world? I think that drag, what, hmm, this is tough, right? Because I have, I have the idea in my head of what I would hope drag accomplishes you know? And I also have interactions with like what my drag has done for people who have spoken to me about that. But I also am curious about drag as a whole, because I think drag has become very mainstream now through Drag Race and through celebrity lip sync battle and through pop stars like Pablo Vittar and even pop stars like Lady Gaga and Madonna before her, do you know what I mean? Who are taking, and the Kardashians who are like taking elements of drag and like putting them into these mainstream spaces. And I think there is this interest in the artistry of drag and also now this acceptance and interest in the fact that it's a queer art form and so now we have the eyes of the mainstream public, which is great. However, I think that the mainstream public is not always ready to sit down and talk about the implications of drag. You know, they're, they're more like, oh, look at that wild spectacle. And that's like all they care to think about, you know? So I, I think there is, on a larger scale, there is an implication of like acceptance of queer people, particularly white gay men, through mainstream drag, you know what I mean? But I think that we still have issues with the acceptance of transness and with the acceptance of, of a true queerness. You know, I think there are some gay men who choose to be capital G gay men and not to be queer, 
Um, I think we, we also have issues with acceptance of people of color and issues of acceptance of people of different classes because the kind of drag that's being presented on a national level is palatable to white middle and upper class people, you know? And, and so I, 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 I really, when, when drag queens say drag is always political, just putting on a dress is political, all of that stuff, I think that can be true. And also in the greater context, the audience is missing that point, you know? Um, but I, I think on, on, a, on a smaller scale, on a more intimate scale, on a person to person scale, I think drag has a huge impact in terms of making people feel comfortable with themselves and of, 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 of lending people confidence and of saying, look at me, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm expressing myself the way that I want and you can too. You know, I, I think there are some drag queens who are like, I'm a bad bitch and you're not. And I hate that. I hate that because that is gatekeeping. And that is saying I'm above you and you cannot come to my level. And my goal in my drag and my hope for drag in general and for the world in general is for us to say, this is yours too. Do you see how powerful you perceive me on stage in these thigh high fuck me boots and my beautiful cocktail dress and my hair blowing in the wind and me lip syncing to Christina Aguilera, you know what I mean? Like the power you think that I have, you also have that within you. You have that, just reach out and grab it. And that's what I hope drag can accomplish. That's what I hope to accomplish in my drag. You know what I mean? My drag is for me, but drag itself and gender expression and confidence and artfulness and glamor is for everyone. And you can pick the pieces that feel good for you and you can use them to uplift yourself. And I think that's important. You know, I think, I think that is what I want it to accomplish. That's, I think that's a beautiful vision. And yeah, with um, drag going mainstream, whenever something goes mainstream, there's a lot of good things with that. And then there's also a lot of vices that come with it. Um, and I think that like what you tell, like the idea of a queer art form being mainstream is, I think is quite revolutionary, but also it, so it, there's so many people that aren't sitting down and really um, co- like reflecting on what that means and reflecting on um, the issues that it brings forward. And yeah, I think that you bring up a really good point with like, it's, it can't just be a spectacle and it can't just be like, oh, like this is something that only exists for like a certain group of people, like only masculine men can do this or like, and I, it's interesting because I, when I was trying to find a drag queen to interview, I put a um, call out on my Instagram, like, does anyone know a drag queen? Because I don't know any. And I got messages that were like, so you want to interview a trans person? And I was like, no, no, no. Like people, people have, well, don't really understand what it is. And I think it's because it's very difficult to define drag because it's not really supposed to be defined. Um, but yeah, it can be difficult when so many people, when this thing is in the collective consciousness and everybody's projecting their own beliefs and perspectives and experiences onto it, sometimes the point of it can really get drowned out. And that is the challenge. Um, but I do think it's good that it's becoming more of a mainstream thing. And I think um, I watch RuPaul's Drag Race and the conversations that they have in the workroom, I think can like have an opportunity, they bring opportunities to reflect on things that they've struggled with in their lives um, and um, issues that the LGBTQA plus community faces 
Um, so yeah, there, it's a whole, that's a whole separate issue. We could probably sit here and talk forever about what it means for drag to be going mainstream. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to see, I'm curious to hear about like, how do you think we can go about overcoming some of those challenges? Like maybe for example, like the, the fact that people have this perception of it that might not be helpful. Like how can we start to overcome that? Yeah, I, I think, well, one thing I think that is happening that is good for overcoming the perceptions of drag that exists on a mainstream level is that there are more drag entertainment venues than drag race that are popping up, you know? Now, the Drag Race and the affiliated shows like the RuPaul Drag Race Vegas Review and the WOW Plus things and the, the national or international Drag Race brands and, and, and things like We're Here with the Drag Race Queens are all part of that brand but are still expanding it. But even beyond that, we have things like Dragula, which is a horror drag TV show on Netflix now, and Camp Wanakiki, which is a, a comedy drag competition show on YouTube. And then drag queens that have the RuPaul brands to like build themselves off of are starting things like Trinity Taylor started a competition called The Love for the Arts, which is a super inclusive and very creative drag competition. The Alaska pageant. And then, oh yeah, and then Alaska Thunderfuck 5000 has a, a pageant that she did at DragCon. That's a huge deal. And so I think, you know, we, we need to just expand the perspectives of people by having more drag represented. And along with that, there are people who are sort of railing against drag race and saying, you drag race have the opportunity to portray more diverse experiences. You know, they haven't had an AFAB drag queen on the show. They haven't had um, a, a trans woman, like a, a trans woman who has been allowed to stay on hormones and have her body modified, you know, has not been allowed on the show yet. And um, there are people who are upset about that lack of representation. And I think that we can continue speaking to Drag Race and saying you can empower these people. And also when they're not empowering those people, create new avenues for those people to be empowered and for those people to be seen and discovered and heard, you know? Um, and I think that is one of the ways that we can address that issue of like, the one perspective of drag and the palatability and, and sort of the class level that drag comes to. I also think that just more and more drag queens are speaking to those issues. And so as we gain more visibility, thanks to shows like Drag Race, we're speaking to those issues. You no, know, Drag Race has allowed, like Drag Race has boosted the careers of people like Bob the Drag Queen and Peppermint and Sasha Velour and Shea Coulee and, and these queens who are well-spoken and who are interested in addressing the issues of today and who are interested in saying, hey, I've got your attention because I'm a sparkly dress and now we're going to talk some real shit. You know what I mean? And I think that is so important. And that's something that I try really hard to do. Like when I'm on stage and I'm performing, I'm trying really hard to have a good time and to make sure you have a good time. But if there's a microphone in my hand or if I'm on my Twitter or if you're talking to me personally, I'm not going to be there to just entertain you. I'm also going to be there to challenge your notions of gender, to challenge your notions of, of politics in this community, to challenge your notions of like what we need to be discussing. Because I think there is a space in drag to soothe and to uplift and to create joy. And then once you have done that and your audience trusts you, you also have the space to say, all right, you trust me, now let's go on a journey. Let's talk about some real things because 
our lives cannot just be these delusional cloud nine, always a silver lining places. You know, we have to experience the black and the white. We have to experience the gray area in between. We have to experience joy and heartache and sorrow and all these things. And we need to understand them on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. I see what your Pisces moon there, getting people to trust you. Your Saturn and Aquarius. I think the Saturn and Aquarius people have a very revolutionary life mission because Aquarius is the rebellious revolutionary of the Zodiac who wants everybody to be equal and wants everybody to be represented. And then your Gemini just tops it all off with Gemini <laughs> how to start the right conversations. So that's yeah. beautiful. And yeah, it has been so great talking to you. Um, you, yeah, you're a super cool person. I'm really glad that we met and I'm so excited to share this interview on my show. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, why don't you let us know where we can go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Gilda Wabbit, G-I-L-D-A-W-A-B-B-I-T. You can find my website, www.gildawabbit.com. Um, I work uh, weekly at Play Louisville here in Kentucky. I also travel to Columbus and New York and Chicago and Nashville and Orlando. And I'm hoping over the next year to sort of expand that, although the coronavirus has put a nice little stop to any sort of traveling I'm doing. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, please come see what I do. Let's talk, let's have a conversation. Let's feel beautiful and cool together. It's a good time. Yeah, definitely check out her YouTube channel. It is super lit. Um, other places. And yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. And we have an abrupt ending because I hit stop on the recording too quickly. But <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And huge thank you to Gilda Wabbit for coming on the show. Please go check out their work and all of their online stuff is linked in the show notes. And if you happen to live in the United States, maybe you can catch a live performance at some point. And if you're listening to this episode in real time, I hope you have a beautiful full moon experience. And I will be back to check in with you again uh, on the new moon in Libra. And I'll have another interview for you. So thank you so much for being on this journey with me. And bye for now. What they're saying, what they're saying, what they're saying Crowd screaming out to me Long live the wannabe All the praying, all the praying, all the praying They sharpen up the teeth It's a vicious scene They'll go crazy when I've made it What does made it even All oh, hell, I'm